So I was like, hey, that's a cool way to celebrate being done with this two-month diet and exercise period. So we did that, and then we won and got the $500. And then I thought about it. I was like, hey, I'm pretty good at this. I might start looking into doing some more food challenges. And 10 years later, I'm still going at it. 829 food challenge wins in 37 countries, and then all 50 states, including, I think, 46 wins all around Australia in pretty much every uh, state or province other than Tasmania and uh, North Australia. G'day everyone, Craig Rowe from People With A Passion and if this is your first time here, please take a moment to hit that subscribe button and also the notification bell to let you know when new People With A Passion interviews are uploaded. Now today's guest is a professional food eater. I didn't even know that was a thing until I spoke with this guy. He has 829 food challenges under his belt on his trajectory to 1000. He is the founder of foodchallenges.com and randysantel.com. So yes, my guest today is Randy Santel, who also has close to a million subscribers on YouTube and over a million on Facebook. So without further ado, let's take some time and relax and listen to and or watch this episode of People With A Passion with our guest, Randy Santel. Today's episode is brought to you by applaudable.net. This is Randy Santel, Atlas with Atlas and Zeus Promotions and proud owner of foodchallenges.com. Very, very excited to be on this podcast. It's going to be a good one. That's awesome, mate. So you're a professional eater now. I must admit and confess, I didn't even know that was a thing until uh, your team reached out to people with a passion and I started to look into what you're doing. And it's quite, you've got quite a big following with over a million people on Facebook and coming up to a million subscribers on YouTube. So let's talk about what professional eating is and how did you come and fall into that passion? Okay. Yeah. I just actually had my 10 year anniversary of doing food challenges on March 19th, not too long ago. So it's definitely been a crazy long career started back. I did my very first food challenge on March 19th, 2010. I did a, my buddy actually, he helped me win. I'm sure we'll talk about this, but I won a national body transformation contest that actually ended on March 12th of 2010, but it was called the men's health Spartacus national body transformation contest. And then he helped me with all of my diet and exercise for that contest. And then he also like two weeks beforehand, before I took my final photos, he invited me to be on his team. He had previously lost a food challenge as a 28 inch pizza challenge in St. Louis, Missouri, where we were both from, my friend Dan Graham. And he had lost, I think because of his toppings, but also his partner too. But he knew I could eat, so we figured it would be a cool way to celebrate by doing this challenge, because if we won in less than an hour, it was like this 11-pound pizza. We'd get $500 and the meal free. So I was like, hey, that's a cool way to celebrate being done with this two-month diet and exercise period. So we did that, and then we won and got the $500. And then I thought about it. I was like, hey, I'm pretty good at this. I might start looking into doing some more food challenges. And 10 years later, I'm still going at it. 829 food challenge wins in 37 countries. And then all 50 states, including, I think, 46 wins all around Australia in pretty much every uh, state or province other than Tasmania and uh, North Australia. So that's pretty cool. What are some of the challenges you've actually done here in Australia? 
Uh, let's see. They're in Brisbane. I've done a pho challenge, a ramen challenge. I did a couple different burger challenges. And then in Klontarf, I beat a kebab challenge. So that's one of the cool things is there's so many different types of food challenges you can do. I think now there's like 35 different types of food challenges. And the cool thing, too, is everything's unique as far as there's always a different strategy, too, because you wouldn't go about doing a burger challenge the same way as you do a hot dog challenge or ice cream or anything like that. So that's one of the things that uh, kind of got me early on and helped me become an actual professional leader because a lot of people don't really think about the term professional is that you've got to make more than 50% of your money doing the craft that you do. So by uh, being the owner and operator of foodchallenges.com, uh, that's helped with a lot too. We have a national database or no, a global database of all the food challenges around the world, and then over a hundred different articles helping people better understand. The articles pretty much answer any question you could have about food challenges. So you've got the Randy uh, RandySantel.com website as well as the uh, uh, FoodChallenges.com website. So yes, yeah, Randy Santel was actually that was my first website, and I started that I think in 2012. And the reason I started that was because. When I first went to do my first that first pizza challenge uh, with my friend Dan, I tried for a couple days just to find out all the information I could. One of the mottos that we use for foodchallenges.com is win before you begin. I was trying to win before I began and figure out the different ways to train and get ready for to eat like six, seven pounds of pizza. And I could like found nothing. I, there wasn't hardly anything available on the Internet. So one of the things that sparked the creation of RandySantel.com was that one of the sections I had on there was not only related to health, nutrition, and fitness, but also I had like six different pages all about helping people better understand just some basic fundamental tips on training for and preparing for food challenges. You obviously like food. You may have identified that. But um, there is another part of your personality that uh, this whole food challenges uh, feeds, which is, if I can use that word, which is your competitive nature because you actually played uh, football in uh, college. So do you want to speak a little bit about how being the competitor and eating have combined and, and why competition is still important to you, what that does for you? Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, with anything, it's all about just whether you have the motivation to, to go all in or not. And I played high school and college football. Growing up, I was into like seven different sports, I think, uh, even bowling leagues and uh, soccer, baseball. Never really played football until high school. I learned how much running there is with soccer, and I did not want to do that. And a couple of my friends were playing football, so I joined the team. And then I ended up, I got all state for the state of Missouri, where I'm from, my senior year. And then I went on to play college football for three years at Missouri State University in Springfield, Missouri, where I live now and where both of my degrees are from, uh, both bachelors. But uh, after I was done with football, I knew that being an offensive lineman was my position. I was always weighing, especially in college, between 295 pounds and 335 pounds. And I knew that I didn't need to be that big. So during the next couple of years after college, I was uh, doing stuff with my initial construction management degree, but I was doing that, but also getting more into the health and fitness side of everything, trying to lose the weight that I had kept on me as a football player. And then I did that body transformation contest in 2010. I was, I think I was at 250 pounds 
and I wanted to be I wanted to be ripped. A lot of people, uh, and it's a common thing with people that are larger, is they just want to know what it's like to have a six pack or an eight pack or whatnot, or or just be really lean. So I saw that contest that was awarding a free trip for two to Auckland, New Zealand, to appear on the show Spartacus, uh, the prequel to Bloods of the Arena. Uh, it was called, uh, no, uh, Blood and Sand. It was the Gods of the Arena was the prequel. But I ended up competing in that, and I just, I really wanted to be lean. I mean, it, it was the motivation, the external motivation of trying to win that contest. But I really just, for me internally, wanted to get lean. But then, like three weeks prior to finishing, I was like, okay, I'm doing really well. I have a really good chance of, of, of doing well with this. The question was, was what was I going to do next? I was competing and doing everything, but what was going to drive me and keep me motivated to continue working out and doing everything that I was doing? So that, I, I guess it just kind of fell into my lap as far as my buddy Dan asking me to do that challenge. Because then after I realized that I was pretty good, uh, I mean, I may not have even really started or, or looking into any other challenges if we had lost that. So, I mean, the win was kind of what sparked everything. But, yeah, it was just the, the drive to compete, uh, not only do better than other people, but just keep on uh, doing the best I could because it was a way to compete as far as man versus food, food challenges. But also internally, I knew it was good motivation because if I kept on doing the food challenges, I would just gain a ton of weight. So what I was doing was I was working uh, my construction management job. I was in the estimating uh, field, estimating for at first a general contractor and then a subcontractor. But then on the weekends, I was going out, uh, sometimes traveling to other cities, doing all these food challenges. So it was like a game pretty much to get my weight down or keep it down and maintain my weight uh, during the week. And then obviously I was eating tons of calories on the weekends. But yeah, it's just... Uh, I kind of lost that how much trying to see how much I can bench kind of mentality uh, many years ago, maybe after the first 200 food challenges. But then now it's just for other reasons, which I'm sure we're going to talk about this because uh, doing the food challenges is what's going to help me uh, build the platform that I'm going to be on uh, as a future registered dietitian, which uh, I just graduated last May 2019 uh, from Missouri State again with a degree in nutrition and dietetics so uh building up our subscribers i know you talked about uh we're at over a million i think one million and twenty thousand or something like that of uh, followers on facebook and then we're at i think nine hundred and fifty four thousand on youtube so uh inching our way up to one million on youtube too but then once i retire as a professional leader once it's time to be a registered dietitian uh, i'll retire from the the food challenges and then use my channels, my social media to help people better understand nutrition and basic fundamental weight management. You're already doing some of that on your channel um, for people that are interested, uh, go up and have a look because you are letting people follow your journey of actually training and preparing yourself for food challenges. You have a, or just had for the last several weeks and it's just finished, your Sexification 2020 was the program that you and your workmate or one of your helpers uh, support workers has um put you on do you want to explain sexification that was in preparation for 2020 master schedule which i don't know how that's affected so you might, might want to speak to that as well and what that was or is yeah we're just gonna have to play things by ear with all this stuff going on i mean all around the world we were wanting to do a tour starting on april 7th but we'll just have to see uh when it's gonna go but yeah 
I've got two full-time editors now. Initially, my friend Magic Mitch Dombrowski, who also is a professional leader and he does a lot of the editing, uh, used to do it all from 2013 till 2016. But then uh, he lives up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, which is super far from me. We also have another guy named Arthur Davis. He lives in Springfield, just a couple minutes from me. So whenever we need to film a video here at my house, he comes over and does that. But yeah, new 2019 was a crazy year. I was 126 and 12. I had that many wins and then, yeah, 12 losses. But I graduated in May, and then after that, my time was free. I decided to take a gap year, which has turned into two years, and just grow my social media before I really hunger down and do. I still have to do a dietetic internship and then pass the test. It's a 1,200-hour internship in order to become a dietitian. That'll start in August 2021. Sexification 2020 is because I just got so big. Uh, I wasn't out of control because I knew everything that I was doing. I just, my weight got very big, up to 373.9 pounds. Um, my highest weight before that was 346 pounds in high school. And I never imagined myself getting past that. But uh, yeah, it definitely did in 2019. So over the past, uh, during these 12 weeks, Sexification 2020, is, it's always funny when, when people try to say it and they don't actually know the word or... Uh, I think Sex Vacation comes up on YouTube if I don't fix the subtitles uh, based on their autocorrect. But yeah, it's just been a period where I'm completely off from food challenges, just losing as much weight as I can. And I've lost over 60 pounds. So it's been well. And then Arthur Davis has come over each week and we filmed a update video where I also explain one of the various aspects of everything I'm doing during this period. I saw your one on plateaus as well, um, explaining how... Uh, you plateau after a period of time with any sort of weight loss or diet journey and, uh, you know, the process of kickstarting that again and just explaining to people because people who are following you, they're following you for the food challenges and there is a massive following. I was intrigued by it, I must say, but it just goes to show how much we don't know that's out there. Like I've never seen, um, I know that there are food challenges in restaurants i didn't realize in the uh, same way as people have poo-pooed gaming for a long time and now esports is a huge thing food sports is is obviously a it's huge crazy thing. what's available in this social media world all mm. the opportunities so i noticed that some of the challenges are against the clock some of them are individual challenges and then a lot of them that you're winning are but you also do compete as well there are other people taking these challenges with you trying to crack them in the quickest time or even get through it when others may not. So it's sort of like a, a last man standing approach. I wouldn't exactly say competing is the right word. It's more collaboration. You, so, you're competing so, with yourself ultimately, I guess, when it comes to Yeah, eating. it's always man versus food, but yeah. it's more collaborations. I go all around the world. Like I said earlier, I've got wins in 37 countries and then all 50 states. I try to collaborate with all the people that I can. Uh, there's a couple people like uh, a guy named Matt Stoney in California. And then there's just a couple other people involving food that do food challenges with a higher number of followers and subscribers. But then uh, people with fewer subscribers, there's just a lot of mm -hmm. people trying to break out and grow their social media. So to help them out, I try to collaborate with all the people that I can. Some people even travel hours uh, just to come do a food challenge with me because then they know that potentially hundreds of thousands of people might watch and see them and, and then go on and try to 
uh, follow their channel and their challenges as well. So it's one big collaboration. I know when I was in Australia, I collaborated with uh, competitive eating and food challenges is definitely a growing community there in Australia, which is awesome. I hope, I'm hoping to get back there and do a second tour in early 2021. If you do come down and join me in the studio, mate, I'd like to meet you in real life. Oh, so, yeah, no, we'll meet up for sure. Like yeah, I really appreciate it. And I like, what, I like the topic of what you're doing, uh, talking about passion, too, because I'm obviously, uh, you don't get a 829 food challenge wins without being passionate about something. It takes a lot of toll and work to, to deal with all the struggles. I think people would be thinking it's an easy thing to do, but it actually isn't because health is a major factor and you're obviously studying nutrition and dietitian, looking at being a dietitian. But the, the fact with the food challenges is uh, you are training and, and training to maintain a healthy body and healthy lifestyle, knowing you're going to be taking and eating more calories and kilojoules than is recommended. So what... So there's a couple of um, things I found unique is that you actually train stomach capacity. Do you want to explain what training stomach capacity is and entails and why that becomes important in what you're doing? Definitely. Yeah. And that's one of the first things I was trying to do back in 2010 to get ready for that first pizza challenge. I was trying to make sure that my stomach was going to be able to fit all of the food that I was wanting to put into it. And that's, yeah, like I said, it started randysantel.com and foodchallenges.com. And then, like I said, our motto is win before you begin. There's three uh, broken down words for that. And they are train, strategize, and dominate. The strain, or not strain, <laughs> you don't want to strain a little bit, but not too much. But you want to make sure that your body is physically trained so that your stomach is trained to expand and, and in, in a sense, relax. Uh, because your your stomach muscles, as far as when you're trying to eat a lot, they function in very similar ways as your skeletal muscles, whether it be your chest trying to bench press or do whatnot, you can actually train your stomach to expand more or relax more so you can fit more into it. And there's definitely, there's all kinds of ways to do it. And some, of course, are safer than others. Uh, there is, you can use just food. I mean, if, if you want to train yourself to eat a lot, you've got to practice eating a lot. There are some people that only use liquids, which that can be dangerous. Uh, so on foodchallenges.com especially, we don't really promote that too much. But one thing we can promote is using both. As far as like back in the day, I used to uh, live in Kansas City, Missouri, and there, I don't really think they have too many available anymore. But the grocery stores there, they had all-you-can-eat salad bar buffets, a salad bar and fruit. So I used to go there to train and just try to eat as much as I could uh, within like an hour or whatnot, like seven or eight plates of salad. And I would do that, especially you want to do a max out meal of like 18 to 22 hours before your food challenge competition, whatever you're doing, where you're going to be trying to eat a lot. You want to do that. And what you eat kind of depends on your body. Like I'm prone to gaining weight. So I was always trying to go high volume, lower calorie. But if you want to, you can go to pizza buffets uh, or uh, Chinese buffets or anything you want. But then I would eat as much as I could. And then after just a quick little break of letting the food digest, then I would try to drink some water or some liquid on top of that, too, just to really give the stomach an extra stretch. But, yeah, you want to max out the stomach capacity as much as you can. And then over the next 18 to 22 hours, whatever it may be, you want to just kind of fast 
uh, maybe have some coffee or, or you don't really want to be hungry and starving when it comes time for the challenge. So you might want to do like a protein shake or yogurt, not really anything too much of substance, but you want your body to be empty and ready to eat but still hydrated and energetic when it comes time to do the challenge. Why don't you technically want to be hungry or feeling hungry in a challenge? What's the, is that a mental thing or is it actually a physical thing? What's the, the justification for thinking like well, that? Well, a lot of people can relate to this is that you might go so long without eating that you get so starving. You're like, oh man, I could eat a horse right now. But in reality, you might order a whole bunch of food, but at the end of the day, your eyes are going to be a lot bigger than your stomach because during that fasting period, uh, your body, your stomach kind of contracts because there's been nothing in it. Uh, it's survival mode pretty much. So uh, like I know I used to go uh, back in the day, I would go forever and I would just get starving. And then I would go to like a buffet with my friends and I was just disappointed in myself that I wasn't able to eat much. So in order to actually eat more, you've got to practice eating more. You can't just fast for two days and expect to, expect to eat a lot. So one of the things that I've noticed with you, and, and it's probably demonstrated by a lot of what you've said, is that you're huge on goal setting and setting targets, that you're constantly putting uh, you know, goalposts up that you want to reach, whether it be as you head into a season of, of food challenges and prepping yourself for that, but also on your social medias, you have goals. So, um, and, and obviously your food challenges, one of your goals is to hit 1,000 uh, food challenges and win 1,000, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes. Some are, some are goals. Some are just kind of hopes sometimes. Like I have uh, goals sometimes of like social media. Like I was wanting to hit a million YouTube subscribers uh, in 2019 with all the food challenge travels we were doing. But also at the same time, I only really, and I think this is what allows me to be a lot happier uh, than I used to be years ago. Uh, I love everything that I'm doing now, but also I pretty much only focus on what I can control. Like this weight loss, I've got 12 weeks available, or I had 12 weeks available to lose as much as I could. No food challenges. I was just at home getting all my websites caught up and everything like that. The big thing is I always just try to do my best. Uh, a lot of the, and if you've watched some of the sexification videos, I talk about bowling uh, because there's a lot of ways that the sport of bowling relates to weight management. And as far as goal achievement goes, anybody that understands bowling, my goal is to pretty much every day throw strikes and spares, which is pretty much always my best and do my best and get the maximum results possible. What are some of the things that you hope to do once this is over? Yeah, I don't talk about this too often because it just gets so many questions. But since 2012, I've been working on a nutrition education system. That's actually the, the reason that I'm still doing all these food challenges. Since 2015, I've actually been writing the book and developing the system and doing everything that it's going to take to actually get the book and the website and everything, the phone app, everything involved up and going, which is going to take a big team. But initially, I've been putting it all together behind the scenes while doing school, while doing the channel and everything else. Thanks to all of the help from Magic Mitch and Arthur and everybody else on my team uh, taking care of their different roles. But uh, in 2022 or 2023, I think is when I'm finally going to become a dietitian. And I never started out wanting to become a dietitian. 
It was in 2015. No, in 2000. Yeah, in 2015, I think it was. I was thinking about. I was. Uh, I was working on the book, thinking about ways that a professional leader could be taken seriously as far as health and nutrition advice. And I was looking up all the different nutrition certifications. I quickly realized that becoming a full-fledged registered dietitian is the gold standard, and getting just a normal certification or online certificate is is not always worth the paper that it's printed on. Mm -hmm. So in 2016, I decided to start back up at uh, Missouri State University and get another degree because my first degree was construction management. Only the gen eds pretty much satisfied credits. And uh, we had to do physics for construction management, which uh, chemistry, of course, for uh, nutrition and dietetics. So I've been working on the nutrition education system touring during my breaks and all that. But yeah, in 2022, whenever I finally become a registered dietitian, the goal will then be to soon after publish the book and everything related to the nutrition education system. And then I'll not only have dietitians uh, working with me that will be helping people more personally, but I'll be using my channels to help distribute the information. Because right now, any, any, uh, any weight loss, any nutrition advice, uh, is all coming from fitness professionals. There are pretty much no dietitians at all on any video platforms. There's some on Instagram, but none on Facebook or YouTube. And there's so many more people nowadays with uh, compacted time, everybody's busy schedule. They're going to videos and podcasts and the internet trying to find the information they want. And the nutrition information, which is most important for people trying to maintain their weight, they're getting the information from fitness professionals who also offer nutrition advice. So my goal is to help get more dietitians on social media. And one of the problems I always get asked is how do dietitians get a higher social media awareness? And <laughs> I don't know that answer. Nothing pretty about kale. I mean, it's nutritious, but how many people want to follow a channel that talks all about kale and and all the nutrition stuff. So I'm using my food challenges to build a platform that I'll eventually switch over to helping people with their nutrition and weight management. Well, I think it's um, a good approach the way you've done it. Do you uh, ever stop and pause for a moment, given that you did actually fall into this, which I find with a lot of people with a passion, they fall into their passion. It's, it comes up time and time again where, you know, they just find that I can do this and then it turns into a business or an enterprise or something they can make a living from. They actually enjoy it. Do you ever take a step back and think, wow, this has really got bigger than I ever thought it would? Oh yeah. Yeah. And actually there's a guy that hardly any, hardly ever gets any credit. And now that I talk about this, I need to create a post for him. But my cousin Patrick is actually, uh, in addition to Dan is what one, one of the main people that inspired all of this because we had no intentions of filming the food challenge or anything like that. But my cousin, Patrick, he's like a year, I think less than a year younger than me. But he, uh, his family lives like five minutes away from mine. And he just happened to be off the day that we were going to do that first food challenge. And he said, hey, if you idiots are going to do something this stupid, I want to be there and I'll film. So he came there and he filmed it. And then he knew basic editing. So he turned it into this like 10 minute video. I think exactly 10 minutes, because at the time, that was like the max size video you could put on YouTube back in, yeah, in 2010. Yeah. 
So then I took that and I put it on this channel that I made, Atlas Deuce Promos, which I switched over to Randy Santel in 2011. But I figured, hey, since I videoed the first challenge, I might as well video the second. So I got on Craigslist and I bought this cheap camera and videoed the second and then gave him the footage to edit. And then I figured, hey, Patrick's wanting a family, got his own career and they're doing everything. I've got to take this in-house. So the third, fourth, and fifth food challenge I filmed, I paid somebody, I think like 15 bucks a video on Craigslist uh, to do that. But then after that, I knew that I was going to have to learn myself. So I think I edited the first 100 videos after that. And then Magic Mitch uh, started with me on 2013 after I put out a post that I needed help. But yeah, everything is just, I mean, when I did my first food challenge, I definitely didn't expect all the things to that's around now. So it's been a fun and crazy journey, which is, that's part of it. Uh, all of this is new. Uh, how many professional leaders do we all know? Not that many. I think there's less than 10 uh, currently active uh, in the world today. But yeah, no, it's, it's definitely grown a lot more. I always knew, especially early on, I always knew there was potential. But of course, I mean, I can't, I'd be lying to you or anybody that if I just said I imagined all of this happening. I mean, mm. now I'm imagining what's going to happen in the future, which is, of course, all bigger than this. But, yeah, it's just a it's a whole growth process. Absolutely. So uh, one of the things that you touch on in one of your videos is actually when you're talking about the Spartacus challenge was the concept of self-motivation and how you have to have a mindset where you have the ability to train on your own and maintain a level of uh you know, commitment to what you're doing. How do you mentally prepare yourself? Um, and, and what are some of the things that motivate you to, you know, stay with your diets and things when you're training for your challenges? Uh, well, I think the biggest thing is just that with everything I'm doing, my goal is not to help professional athletes. My goal is to help people that don't even understand the basic fundamentals of nutrition. Like there's people watching our videos that think that there's a link in food between gluten and sugar. And I mean, there's no real relation and those people need help. Mm -hmm. And I mean, people are trying to sell them on the keto diet and all these complex things without them understanding basic nutrition. So somebody needs to help those people. And I don't, I don't, my current thoughts and my beliefs are that there's not really anybody reaching out, trying to give them a helping hand up. So one of the things that I'm doing is trying to reach those people, and I'll be able to do that through my social media, but also at the same time, people aren't going to really buy into what I'm saying, which is why, and not even really what I'm saying, because uh, a lot of it is not really opinion-based. It's science, evidence-based. and uh, But either way, people aren't really going to be as uh, actively engaged and wanting to really listen if I'm not obviously looking like I'm following the advice myself. So when it comes time to become a dietitian, I've got to have a 100% health, a clean health bill of record, which I still do even after all these 10 years. I know uh, at the end of sexification, I'm going to be getting my blood levels tested after the 829 food challenge wins, just to show people that the blood glucose, the triglycerides, cholesterol, all of that is still managed and doing okay. In order to actually become the, on the platform that I want, I'm going to need to embody everything that I'll be preaching and talking about. So uh, getting myself aimed at that is, it's all just kind of, I'm kind of self-motivated. I view it as my duty. 
Yeah, and and it comes out in uh, the content that I've seen you produce um, since you came into my awareness. I only know one professional food eater now, and that's you. So it's well, it's. Sparked, I am glad to be that person. It's it sparked my interest. I must say, a lot of people love food. I don't know that I'd uh, go into the food challenge industry, but it, I, I know that restaurants and things do have food challenges. So let's just talk about what is a food challenge and and obviously it's a challenge for a reason so um let's try and kill a couple of birds with one stone here and a talk about why restaurants have these food challenges and b what are a couple of the ones that you found to be actually you said 12 last year that you were unsuccessful and do you go back and try those again what makes one harder than another one so let's talk about a little bit of the that's a lot of questions but no, Challenges. they're all kind of similar. And this is great that we're talking about this because a lot of your listeners, especially if they're not well-versed with competitive eating and food challenges, they're probably wondering this. There's really three different things and really two main ones. There's food challenges, which is just like on the Travel Channel show, Man Versus Food, where let's say a restaurant has a five-pound burrito or a five-pound burger where you have 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, or whatever a time limit is. And if you finish it, you get a prize. Let's say the typical food challenge prizes are a free meal, a sweet t-shirt, and then a spot on the wall of fame. An eating contest is like you'd watch on the 4th of July, the hot dog contest where Joey Chestnut and everybody get up in a line on ESPN and try to cram as many hot dogs and buns in them as they can in 10 minutes. So that would be an eating contest. There's also two, you don't really have too many of these, but there's challenge contests where a restaurant will have like a food challenge and then they'll have an actual contest where a whole bunch of people line up to see who can finish the challenge meal fastest. So I haven't done one of those in a while, but those are fun. If you go into these restaurants and, and do your food challenge uh, where I saw recently you had a pizza and, and as you were working your way through the pizza, they had hot peppers or uh, quiet hot peppers. And, and every time you went through one extra, but you have a process um, about how you look at a meal and approach it as well of what you sort of choose to eat first. So do you want to explain when, when you obviously research some of these meals, I'm, I'm sure before they put in front of you, but do you think, how do you think about what you're going to do and approach it? And why does that become important in the process? Oh, yeah. And then just to go back real quick to an earlier question that you had, the big reason that these smaller restaurants, I mean, pretty much a, a primarily most of the restaurants offering food challenges are smaller mom and pop restaurants with one or two, sometimes five or six locations. But it's really just about marketing. So big food items. I mean, if you've been on Facebook or especially Facebook or sometimes Twitter, Instagram, you might have seen something going viral about a food challenge, whether it be a big burger or something massive. So the restaurants, they want to play in that. They want to use their food challenge. Like, uh, have you ever heard of the 72-ounce steak challenge that's in uh, Amarillo, Texas, called the Big Texan? They've had like 100,000 people try that challenge. It's crazy. That restaurant is known for having that steak challenge. So some of these restaurants, their marketing scheme is they're known for a specific food challenge or just a big meal in general, which attracts people to want to go there. Maybe they're not even interested in trying to eat that whole meal. They might split it with their family, but they figure, hey, this restaurant's got a cool atmosphere. Let's check it out. The next part of when before you begin is strategize. 
I said earlier, I think that there's like 35 different types of food challenges, especially around uh, Australia. There's schnitzel, there's uh, chicken parmesan, there's burgers. Uh, in Perth, there was this three kilogram donut. Uh, just there's so many different types of food challenges. Over the years, I've done so many different food challenges that you just kind of learn the different strategy that you want to go about. And there's a couple different sections on foodchallenges.com to help people understand not only the basic fundamentals strategies for all food challenges, but then there's also some tutorial videos with articles of me doing a food challenge in person and explaining the main basic things that I followed uh, while doing and winning successfully that food challenge. There was only one time where I was trying to film a tutorial video where I just got smashed. Uh, it was a pancake challenge. And I was supposed to finish, I, th I think it was like, I thought it was six pounds of, uh, of pancakes and it was not. Yeah. I think I finished probably six or seven pancakes or pounds of pancakes and still had a bunch left. So I was like, well, Mitch, we can't use this video. So we just had to scratch that. But uh, yeah, if you go to foodchallenges.com uh, or on YouTube, foodchallenges.com, uh, the uh, channel that we have, we haven't uploaded a video to there in a while, but there's just all kinds of different strategy, uh, techniques, articles, and tutorials helping people understand. Uh, like I actually kneel in all my videos uh, whenever possible. There's strategy to that. Because people, uh, especially if they don't watch too many videos, they just think I'm sitting. And that's because when I'm kneeling, I'm actually sitting in the camera view. Uh, you can't really tell unless you see me kneeling that I'm kneeling. Because you want, I want my body to be upright. There's a reason that they're all standing and moving around when they're doing that hot dog contest on 4th of July. It's because your body is upright and you're able to move around and really maximize the space and the use of your stomach and your body in general. When you're sitting, you can't really do that. So that's the thing we talk about. And then also, a lot of people wonder what to eat first. Uh, I mean, I can be I can be watching a food challenge and know whether they're going to win or lose based on what they eat first. If it's obvious that they have no idea what they're doing, it, there's no really point in watching because you know that they're going to fail. Is that because you you know what's going to potentially bulk them up early and also what's going to affect their their palate in the sense of like you you with the hot peppers you chose to try and tackle them first because obviously you knew there's a hurdle to get over and you didn't want to stumble across a, a barrier to your completing the challenge and that's is that correct well for everybody listening what he's talking about was a pizza challenge or it was called the italian deep dive it was a new challenge we helped create and there was a whole bunch of Hungarian peppers. And I didn't even know that there wasn't such thing as a Hungarian pepper before I did that challenge. I knew it wasn't hotter than a ghost pepper, but also I didn't know what kind of heat it was going to bring. And also with those, they're not all the same. Uh, mm -hmm. Some were almost not really sweet. They were definitely spicy. But then there were some others that were really spicy. I mean, jalapenos are kind of the same way. But I was eating those. And really, the pizza that he's talking about had lasagna, cavatelli, and a whole bunch of other stuff on it too. So you couldn't really eat it like a pizza. We just called it a pizza because the base was a 14-inch cheese uh, brick oven pizza. But yeah, I mean, sometimes usually, uh, well, I guess here's the thing. We can talk about this. Uh, I try to do as much homework as I can. But nowadays, we have restaurants wanting 
us to help them create food challenges. And so if there's nobody that's ever attempted the food challenge, I have no homework to do. I can only try to help them create it. Um, I mean, in a way, and this is one of the things that uh, we kind of have some people comment on. We help create these food challenges. And then, of course, I win a lot of them. But also, too, as far as the marketing and everything with the restaurants, nobody should ever create a food challenge for me unless they have like a $500 prize or something like that. Because if it's only for professionals, nobody's going to win. And all the restaurants that have thousands of attempts, all of those challenges are smaller, like uh, between three and six pounds. So, I mean, uh, and especially when I lose, what idiot is going to say, hey, this guy with 800 food challenge wins just lost this massive challenge. But, you know, I've never done a food challenge before, but I think I'm going to win. I mean, that person's an idiot. I'm not going to say there isn't a person like that at all, but it's a low percentage chance. Sure. Is there anything in a, a food challenge you wouldn't eat? Years ago, I think it was 2012, I did 10 chicken wings covered in a sauce that was filled with Trinidad Maruga scorpion wings. Those were the hottest at the time. Now, since then, there's Carolina Reapers and a couple others. I don't really do anything uh, with anything hotter than ghost peppers, just because it took me two and a half minutes to eat the 10 wings. It took me two and a half hours to be able to walk out of the bathroom. I had rashes on my face. I was puking. It was terrible. Uh, and because I got, I think I got 250 bucks appearance fees for doing it. And uh, I was in the bathroom and my dad, I'll never forget. He, he was standing over me and said, well, son, was it worth it? I said, it's not right now, but it will be when I feel better. But just even years from now, that's, I'm still scarred from that. So if it even has Carolina Reaper in the name, I don't even want to touch it. Is, is it a myth? I don't know. Cause I'm not, I don't, I avoid peppers to be honest, but uh, is it a myth that milk actually can taint or take some of the bite off the, the, the heat on some of those things? Do you know? It can, but also too, when you get to the level of, uh, I mean, even hotter than ghost peppers, do it doesn't really do a dang thing. The water and stuff like that almost makes it worse because it swishes all the capsaicin and all the spice all around your mouth. So, mm. um, yeah, I mean, milk is obviously great and it can help. Uh, whole milk or milkshakes or something like that. But more so, that's mostly for your stomach afterwards. Because uh, once you're done, your stomach's going to be one big chemistry experiment of your digestive system trying to figure out what to do with this freaking lava that you just poured down it. Is there anything there, like that's an example of something where two and a half hours you, or within two hours you were paying a price. Is there anything where you've eaten it and said like a day or two after you, you felt that it's um, done anything to the digestive system that you had to then overcome? I've actually never had any problems. Uh, some people ask me about uh, indigestion and uh, GERD, uh, esophageal reflux or whatever, acid reflux, but that only happens if I drink too many days in a row. Uh, nothing with food. So mm -hmm. now that I'm mature, 33, I don't drink too many days in a row anymore. So I haven't dealt with that in forever. Yeah. One of the big things for me is I travel all around the world. So, uh, and in the United States, I'm usually in a vehicle. Unless I have to travel a massive distance and it makes sense to uh, return my rental car or do it whatnot and get another one. But the big thing for me is falling asleep at the wheel. I actually fell asleep uh, at the wheel years ago, like 2013, 
2014. Yeah, no, I think it was 2012 or 2011, actually. It was, I did a food challenge just uh, at a late night place, and then I ended up falling asleep. It was terrible. So mm. what I do now is, and this is in addition to, there's other benefits as well, but I take digestive enzymes uh, before uh, every food challenge. I usually take a double dose. If I'm doing like a 100-ounce steak or something like that, I'll probably take a triple dose. But it's basically those enzymes act as like reserves to help my normal digestive enzymes and everything uh, digest the food. So that like, if you ever eat a bit, if you ever eaten a big meal, yeah, well, yeah, you were probably tired after that, and yes. that was because your digestive system was pretty much taking all of your energy to digest all that food, which is what happens after uh, people celebrate Thanksgiving or whatnot. They go to a buffet. By having those digestive enzymes, I don't really, as unless the challenge is massive, I don't really get that uh, that tired feeling. So I'm able to keep going. And then another thing with me is sometimes we have like 50 to, uh, we've had over 250 people at events before. There's sometimes hours where I have to spend after eating seven, eight pounds of food doing autographs for people and taking pictures. So uh, I don't, I, sometimes uh, I don't know what keeps me going. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was going to ask always works out. about influencing and, and are there people coming up to you? Obviously, you do do signings and appearances and some of the restaurants pay you to come along to do a challenge and appearances. And I, I, so one thing I noticed in some of these videos is you have a whole group of people watching it, watching you do these challenges that are barracking for you to achieve it. And you've got this fan base that are there people there that you've motivated into going into trying these these challenges as far as following your path? And are there people who have told you how you've helped them with their diet journeys and things like that? Do you get that feedback? Yes. Yeah, we actually get a lot of emails. Uh, and then there's just there's so many different uh, variations of emails of people being positively affected by all of the, I mean, st- again, stuff I never really thought about, like, there's uh, mothers and fathers that message me and say, thank you so much. Our kid used to spend like an hour eating uh, dinner and it used to just be such a struggle for our family to get them to eat. Mm-hmm. One day we started watching your videos with them and now he eats his meals in like 15 to 20 minutes. If he's ever really struggling, we'll put a hat on him and then turn it backwards and then say, hey, eat like Atlas. So and then they'll just start. I mean, not in an unsafe way or anything like that. They'll just eat faster, and then they'll flex at the end just like we do after our things. But, yeah, I mean, we have, I have people with um, – I, of course, have to be careful, uh, but luckily I had training in school. Uh, people with eating disorders will message me uh, and say thank you for all the help they uh, by everything that I'm doing. And, uh, they've been inspired to have a healthier uh, relationship with food. Uh, especially during all these sexification video period, we've had people talking about their weight loss and and how we've inspired all of them uh, to to lose weight. And yeah, of course, too, there's also some people that have been inspired to, to do food challenges. And I do get some flack uh, just from people that don't know any better. They just feel like uh, yapping or whatever. But they'll say, hey, uh, especially when I'm bigger, that I'm promoting obesity and stuff like that but i may i may inspire somebody to do like a challenge or two but it's very rarely ever uh more Mm. like they'll do one or two but 
And that's one of the things too is, is being the owner of foodchallenges.com and, and collaborating with people. There'll be people wanting to collab and they'll message me all excited about all this. They're like, oh man, I love food challenges and blah, 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 blah. But then the big tell, the big test for them is what happens when they finish all of the food challenges around them. I mean, especially nowadays, it's not like it was in 2010, 2011, where there's a whole bunch of food challenges in every city. A lot of restaurants don't have them anymore, which is why in order to do events, we have to get restaurants sometimes to create them uh, in the cities that we want to go to. So the big test is once an eater, an eater is done with the food challenges and events around them, are they going to travel? Or are they going to want to deal with the weight gain and, and the stuff that can happen as being an eater? Uh, most people don't. Mm. But the ones that actually do, they're the, not to say they're the smarter ones, but they're, they're the ones that better understood what they were getting into before they started. And they're able to keep healthier and, and keep everything under control. I could see how you could get a little bit of hate mail sometimes from time to time around the obesity um, and people saying that you're encouraging that. But what you're actually doing is you're educating people. And you mentioned that people have a relationship with food and it's a way that it, the way you coin that is actually true for everyone is that we we all do actually have a relationship with food. So having and doing what you're doing is demonstrating and educating people. You're doing this safely and people probably should recognize that you are. It probably just demonstrates a little bit of ignorance that they're really not watching what you're doing if they're, you know, speaking that and thinking you're not doing the right thing by this and encouraging people to eat poorly. Well, but also too, I don't really, and, and we try to, to be as nice to comments as we can. But I also, at the same time, understand some people because it's not good promotions for somebody to be 373 pounds mm. still doing food challenges. So, I mean, in a sense, I'm on their side regarding that. But, uh, I mean, when I was saying yes to all these food challenges, it was with the intention of being able to take 12 weeks off and do all of this that I'm doing now. We had to film enough videos to, to make the content uh, that we've been posting all throughout the sexification. We've still been posting three food challenge videos a week in addition to the Friday sexification video. But if you ever want to see some negativity, I mean, if you want to see ignorance, just utmost, just batching, get on to, have you ever been on like Unilad or Lad Bible or any of those conglomerate pages? Yeah. Mm. A lot of them, I give uh, Facebook pages free range to share our stuff. In order for, in order, and that's one of the reasons I've gotten up to a million followers, or my team's gotten up to a million followers. I've given free range to, to them and smaller pages just to share all the videos of ours that they want. And on their posts, there is so much hate that it's crazy. Uh, all, a lot of my friends actually, I share them on my personal page just because my friends want to see them because they want to get on and, and check out all the comments about all the people starving all around the world and all the, um, I, my family's Catholic. So before every food challenge is part of my pre-ritual, I do the sign of the cross. And so, so many people comment on how I do that yet, apparently to them commit the sin of gluttony. There's just all kinds of stuff that you'll see on those threads. If anybody's ever wondering how I deal with negativity or whatnot, I always say, Hey, there's people that hated mother Teresa. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no one single person, Dalai Lama, whatever, where every single person liked them. So 
I, one of my favorite comments is, how the hell do people watch somebody eat? And mm. I've even had that in restaurants and stuff too. But I always respond with them as, you know what? I'm on board with that because I have no idea how people watch golf. It's the most boring yeah. thing in the world to me, but millions of people do. It's pretty neat. Some of those people that do hate, what they don't realize is that the reason a lot of people aren't successful in their life is because they're, they're, they're scared of judgment. And, yeah. and for, for you to do what you're doing or me to do what I'm doing or anyone who's a creator in a social media space or landscape like YouTube or podcasting, you're going to take some hits. But the truth is, is you know that going into it. So you wear the noise on the, on the basis of amongst that noise is a lot of, as you said, good feedback from a lot of people that you are actually helping. And they're the people that, you know, you're doing it for. They're your audience. They're your fan yes. base. They're your support network. Aside of what you're doing as a professional leader, it's a motivation for creators to recognize that you've been doing this since 2010. It's 10 years. It's taken you a long time to evolve this to where you're approaching 1 million subscribers on YouTube. So while you might have haters, there's close to 1 million people that are following you because they're seeing value in what you're doing. With, with that, um, I'll leave you with the last word, as I do with a lot of people. Hey, yeah, no, definitely. And no matter what you're doing, and really, you got to figure out your niche. So, I mean, like you talk about people's passion. A lot of the people that probably listen to your, your podcasts are just people that are passionate. I mean, we have people of all different audiences. We have some people that watch for the food. There's also some people that enjoy following my journey. They'll message me and say, hey, you could do whatever. I just love your drive and your commitment to everything you're doing. I'll follow whatever you're doing. And it's kind of like even just restaurant reviews or if you're ever on Yelp or anything like that, you always have to realize that you're going to have a lot of people with encouragement, but then you're also going to have, I mean, how often do you eat at a good restaurant and then give a review? Not no. always. But no. if you have a terrible time, you're a lot more likely to get on there and and, uh, and and shout your uh, your despair or how you were mistreated and blah, 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 blah. So you always have to realize that, that there's a lot of people that are on your team that aren't actively vocal. Um, I get messaged all the time like, hey, Randy, I don't ever comment or anything like that. I just wanted to message you because I don't ever comment and just say thank you. You're a big inspiration and all that. And, uh, yeah, I would just say that anybody listening, um, keep that in mind is, if you're, if you're really committed, and that's one of the things that people follow me for, I'm not the best eater in the world. Like, I, I would have no chance against Joey Chestnut or anybody. Uh, I don't even think I'd be in the top 10 if you lined up all competitive eaters. A lot of people just follow because they know that I'm super passionate about what I'm doing, and a lot of them don't even know what I'm passionate about because I'm actually in the process of working on my my platform as a registered dietitian in the future and it's not really that much about the food challenges it's just in this world of social media uh, i mean even the platforms that we have now in 10 years from now we have no clue what it's going to be like so i mean we can we can think but we don't actually know it's just the future is up for people willing to put in the time the work and then sometimes take the risk Mm, now's a good time to create given the situation we're in too so if you especially feel yeah 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 i always tell people uh like and that's well, you've said this earlier is that people uh see that i have a million followers on facebook and almost on youtube and stuff the problem for so many people is they want that now 
they don't realize that I've been in this for 10 years. And for the first like seven years, I was losing money. I think there was like four years where I paid no taxes because I was operating at a loss. <laughs> mm. So you just have to be willing to commit, go all in knowing that you're doing it for the right reasons. That's why any negativity that comes my way, I'm always able to get through it because I know a lot more than they do, but about what my future beholds. We'll do this again sometime. Um, hopefully when, and if you can fly to Australia, I'll have you here in Brisbane in the studio and maybe we can hoe down a burger together or something. I'll probably just yeah. go. No, that would be oh, fine. Oh. I know in 2021, in August, I'm actually going to start my dietetic internship where I'm going to be pretty much restricted for like six to nine months, however long the program I get accepted into is. So before that, I'm focusing on the United States a lot right now. And in 2020, once we're able to, once all this coronavirus uh, kind of dies away and we can get back to normal, but we'll be focused on the USA. And then in 2021, for the first like four or five months, I want to do just a massive world tour and get up to my 50 or 50 countries, or not 50 or 55 countries, and then get back to Australia, New Zealand, and some of the other places I want to get back to, just because there's so many awesome people all around Australia, sites-wise and food too. So yeah, next time I get to Brisbane, We'll say next time, we'll, we'll envision ourselves, me sitting in your studio, we'll have a burger and, and do another chat. This has been fun. I appreciate you having me on. Excellent. Thanks for your time, mate. Take care and stay healthy. Hey, yes. Yeah, good luck to you with all your endeavors. I hope you liked this episode. If you did, please give it a thumbs up and feel free to comment. If you haven't yet subscribed, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell to be advised of new interviews when they're uploaded. I hope you join us again sometime. Catch you later.